It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. We are back with another episode of the Take Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Whitefield, with my co-host, Stephen O'Rourke. Steve, playoffs, week two. Coming off wild card round, we have some stuff to talk about. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling great. I mean, obviously still a little bit riding the high of the Lions winning a playoff game, which was yep. just – it was fantastic to watch. Um, but I'm excited for divisional round. Wild card was more of a wild bust weekend. But, yeah, you know, that's that seems to be kind of the trend the last couple of years is you get kind of a – Busty wild. That's a nope. I'm not gonna say that. A a wild card. Um, <laughs> a wild card weekend where it's like one or two good games, and then divisional round ends up being really good all around. And I'm hoping that that turns out to be the case yeah. uh, this year too. For sure. Um, so the way I was initially thinking we were gonna do the show today, there's a bunch of like gossipy centric things I wanted to talk about, but I think they all play into, um, you know, kind of previewing this next week of games and we'll get into yeah so we're going to preview the four games this week and as we're previewing we're going to bring out all of those other little talking points we'll talk about how the team got there you know i.e review last week so let's get it started i know you know typically we go in order but i since you brought it up the high of the, the detroit lions winning i just let's start there so i just get all that off my chest then my head will be yeah. clear for, for the next yeah. three games we'll talk about so um that was pretty special steve um it's no it's no secret at this point that we're we're lions guys there's actually a lot of us at fantasy points just kind of funny yeah we keep kind of as the, as the team keeps doing well more of us come out of the woodwork it's right, right. brock, brock like is like hiding like a, a special now, now going well, so yeah yeah sorry what no, I'm just saying. Yeah. Uh, Brock was asking, like, you know, do you guys do we have like a special ad in Detroit recruiting Lions fans or something? Because there's so many of us. <laughs> no, it's just that we've been deprived of being able to watch like good football, so we just try and take in as much football as possible in other way in other ways, like watching like charting or writing or you know our guy Alex, who's another guy who writes same game parlay article. So he so he has to he had to channel all of his into becoming good at betting to be able to watch football and still enjoy yes. it. So we've all found our avenues to where we can we've been able to get enjoyment out of football beyond the Lions. Yep. Well for those who aren't aware, and I'm not sure how you wouldn't be aware at this point, but the Lions had not won a playoff game in 32 years. In fact they hadn't even hosted a playoff game in 32 years. So the um, the L.A. Rams coming to Detroit was special for that reason. Then you throw the added layers on top of two quarterbacks that were traded for each other, a GM yep. of the Lions who was with the Rams. Yep. There was, you know, Josh Reynolds even a little bit. He played for the Rams in those golf years. Like there was a lot of emotion riding on this game, like a lot of emotion. I called it. I think last week I referred to this game as is slaying the the rest of the demons that the Lions have, like finally yes. putting to bed the SOL moniker, which is the same old Lions. So um, this game was special for a lot of reasons for that. Um, and then you have the whole Kelly Stafford aspect too, which is just Steve. I'm so glad this woman is not in Detroit anymore. Um, you know, and she's going to get what she wants with us talking about her on this podcast. You yeah. know, this is why she does what she does. I can't believe Bravo hasn't hired her yet to be on one of their shows. I know. She's perfect for I she should she's be in like the new Pump Rules cast, you know? Like, I don't know. <laughs> Real Housewife in L.A., something. Just bring her, as, bring her in as an advisor, at least. Yes, exactly. I do this in real life. Now you guys can fake it on TV. Like, that'd be great. Right. Um, but I mean, so she she came out and did you see that she accused the Lions fans of of um, booing her kids? Oh, yeah, I've seen it all. It's, and then she accused the Lions fans of cheering when Stafford got hurt and was down on the field. Both of she, which now she's walked back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Already, like, 24 hours later, she's walking both of them back. Yeah, obviously, Kelly, thank you for that. Yeah, I mean, it's just 
I don't know. I, like, I don't even know what to say about her. She's probably a nice person, but she seems – she clearly likes to – I. she likes to grab attention. I was talking to my wife about this, and I wonder if there's a level of like – and I could be totally off. I could be totally wrong. But I wonder if there's a level of like Matthew Stafford doesn't participate in like social media in any way, shape, or form. He's pretty off the grid guy. So I wonder if like I wonder if Kelly is just like, well, I got I'm gonna make up for it and I'm gonna make sure we have a presence on yeah. social media and whatnot as a family because it's like we deserve that or whatever. And so she just takes that on for the family because it's like, well, Matthew probably won't unless like his teammates tell him or a reporter asks him like they're not going to find out he's not going to find out so like whatever i'm going <laughs> to i'm going to let it i'm going to let the world be known the staffords are here yeah sometimes i wonder how many like holiday parties they've left early cuz she's embarrassed them you know but, <laughs> <laughs> but anyways um no i mean it's just been a constant thing for her since stafford was in detroit it's just been a drama a cycle of drama but it's all good um the other thing with stafford too was the his post-game comments did you take offense to that or no no No. i've i like it's funny i mean again kelly stafford she's an artist at what she does because the like overall like vitriol and like anger that I'm seeing on Twitter between like Lions and Rams fans. It's Wednesday. Game's been done for three days, guys. Yeah. I'm still seeing people like just absolutely fuming going back and forth. And it's all devised by like the Staffords. I mean, the Matthew yeah. thing, the Matthew post press conference. No, I'm not mad. Yeah. Like, no, I don't take offense. Yeah. He just lost a game. Well, like how, like how would anyone expect him to be like, well, I lost and this sucks, but I love Detroit. I'm really happy, you guys. I'm really happy that this all happened. Like, come on. No. I have an alternative no. perspective to throw at you. So, I, first of all, I wasn't offended because I'm a grown man and I don't get offended by things. You're right. <laughs> so, um, but I do think a lot of the fans in Detroit were slighted because when Matthew left and went to the Rams, when he, you know, he has to be traded. And everyone was cool with that. Was, the, the time was clearly over here in Detroit, and yep. it was time to move on and rebuild from, from nothing. So when he yep. went to L.A., though, and went on that Super Bowl run, Lions fans basically turned into Rams fans that year. Yes. So not only did they support this guy for 12 years in Detroit, they now bought his Rams. Like how many – you could go to the streets right now and see people walking around in a Matthew Stafford duo Rams-Lions jersey. They called yeah. it the the L.A. Lions or the Detroit Rams, if you remember. I mean, there were I mean, um, people like Detroit. I think it was a Detroit clothing company was selling Detroit yeah. Rams shirts. Exactly. So all that said, the city has embraced him beyond when it was even appropriate to embrace him. And I yes. just feel like it was a missed opportunity for him to show to be gracious and say, yeah, I'm happy for the fans. That's all he had to say. And it's not like, and Kelly's acting like he didn't have time to prepare for that dude. He's had three years to prepare for that moment. <laughs> I mean, also it's like the whole week. It's not like this wasn't talked about. Like he knew, right. Right. He knew, and, uh, he knew like win or lose, you know, this is, you know, this was the question was going to get asked. Like yes. no matter what he was going to get asked it, win or lose. I'm sure when, the, you know, tune would have changed a little bit. Loss. I mean, yeah, it's kind of hard to. I mean, like, I get it. It's it'd be yeah. kind of hard to say, like, yeah, I'm really happy for those fans, and I'm really happy for the city, even though I got my, even though like, you know, it was a brutal, brutal loss. You know, they're coming away from it. I'm sure a little bit like, you know, I've seen Rams fans, and I'm sure the players kind of feel similarly, where they're like. There were some missed calls there at the end that could have changed the game a little bit, and that's upsetting. And, the officiating in know, that game was subpar on every level imaginable on both sides. I know Lions fans were bent out of shape about the the fourth down play or whatever, but like, yeah, they got more than than a couple makeup calls for that. So exactly, yeah, I mean, but if you're the NFL, I don't know how, and we're getting off track a little bit. But if you're if you're the NFL, I don't know how you don't look at that game and go, we have massive problems within our ranks. I mean, this is. Um, the Rams definitely got screwed on multiple. Even the play Stafford got hurt on. There was at least yeah. two two roughing the passer calls there. Possibly a third one with the guy stepping yeah. on his face. <laughs> yeah, it was. 
I don't know what was like how they didn't call one of those is like Detroit always gets that or, or they always have that flag thrown against them. The flag, that was for sure was a make makeup call. I felt like I feel like the I mean, refs literally looked at each other like, eh. it was. I mean, they for everything that it's worth, there was some blatant missed calls, but at the same time, they I mean the. Those refs let the guys play for the most part. There was not a lot of penalties, and they were letting they were letting a lot of the ticky tack stuff go. Yeah. So, like in reality, I'm like, yeah, the, the roughing the passer thing was pretty bad. Everything else, like, I'm fine with. There was nothing like overly egregious outside of the offsides thing, which like whatever, you know, they got their makeup calls, so I'm fine with it. Like I'm, you know, yeah. it is what it is. But I thought the refs let them play a pretty aggressive game on, on defense yeah. and you know there was like i said i don't think there was anything where you're like that was so blatantly egregious there, on either there side two. there was two i can think of not because the pass interference stuff as long as you're calling it equally on both sides i don't yes care. usually unless it's unless it's like a guy got tackled before the ball got there whatever right, right. Or like the the holding stuff out of breaks like it happens on nearly every play if you want to yeah. police that that hard you can but i don't like it but the two plays that stick out to me were one, there was a third and 15. Um, Aleem McNeil got absolutely mugged. I mean, full on chokehold around his neck as he's he's got a free pass to Stafford. That definitely mm-hmm. impacted the play. Then the other one was Aaron Donald on, um, it was a Jameer Gibbs touchdown, I believe. Uh-huh. Don't quote me on that, but I think it was Aaron Donald. He for sure got illegally chop blocked. I mean, he was yeah. he was right there about to make a play. He had a guy up in his shoulder pads, and then I believe it was Glasgow came in and, and took out his legs. So I, you know, both of those impacted the game for sure, and I thought they were of the egregious variety. But other than that, I don't mind letting guys play. So Yeah, um, outside of that, like all of that takes away from the fact that that was a really good quarterback duel. That was a really yes. good – yeah, really let's talk about well, football now, Steve. <laughs> yeah, like that was a really well called game plan on both sides. I mean, like both teams had eight possessions. I bet you they were darn near like close in total yards for each team. Yeah, like they were. They, the Lions won by one point. It all came down to you know being able to hold the Rams in the red zone. Like that was just a very, very good playoff football game where you got the best from both teams. Matthew Stafford was, I mean, trick-shotting the lights out with the Lions. Watching the game live, I was it was frustrating because obviously, you know, cheering for the Lions, Matthew Stafford was picking them apart. And then you go back and you watch the All-22, and it's like, oh, no wonder they got picked apart. They didn't, like, legitimately, it felt like on half the passes, you didn't know which way he was going because he no-looked them. And he was like, he was yeah. no looking shots over the middle. It was the off arm, I mean, the off platform crap was ridiculous. I mean, it was, yeah, that was one of the best halves, the first half, best halves of football I've ever seen him play. And I've watched hundreds of Stafford games. So, <laughs> um, I mean, it was, it was incredible. He wasn't missing. It wasn't actually no. until um, he came back in the game after being hurt where he actually missed a couple throws where you're like, man, he, he definitely wishes he had that one back. Um, yeah. Everything was uh, even even plays the Lions had covered perfectly. There were plays they had pressure and covered perfectly, yep. and he was still yep. putting the ball on the money. Um, incredible! And then Golf matched him. Th- I mean, throw for throw, yeah. not necessarily of the same ridiculous variety, but I mean, Golf had a couple of his own. You know, pulled out the exact right club for the moment. I think that that uh, that wrap in by Reynolds in the first quarter that you know the one Golf put over the linebacker high. Beautiful yeah, toss, the Amara fade. Beautiful toss. Yep. You know, Goff had a couple. That that Reynolds in, by the way, you don't see Goff like really reach back and rip it like that too often. That shows you he's got a little bit more arm than people care to think he does. That ball yeah, was a got, missile. He's got confidence going into. The, yeah. I think he's got a lot of confidence going into the playoffs, and you can see you can see it on Sunday. It felt like kind of a, I don't know, kind of an announcement from him of like I'm here. I'm here to contribute. Like the team's going to go as far as I go. That's yeah. what I mean. That that the effort, the throws that he was making. That's what it. That's what it felt like. Because I mean, he ended up 22 for 27 for 277 yards. Matthew yeah, Stafford two, on the other side. Throwings, by the way. Yeah, Matthew two Stafford on, throwings, so. on his side finished. You know, 25 for 36, 367. It was a good quarterback duel in a game where the all the. St- 
all the storylines were about these two quarterbacks. And so it was, you know, it, shout out to Aaron Glenn and the Detroit defense. You know, they buckled down when they needed to. They played, you know, good shutout football in the red zone. And that was the difference because that, yeah. like, that was the biggest difference that the Rams got to the red zone a couple more times but couldn't punch it in the end zone. Yeah, and you know what? I I want to give out a shout out to uh, to Ben Johnson here. I know he, you know, everyone knows he's good at this point. That's not a surprise. I think where I was really impressed and, and has been pre- impressed all year is his ability to game plan on the offensive side. I, I hate to throw this out there because this dude's a legend, but it reminds me a, a little bit of Bill Belichick in the way he yeah. does it on defense. Um, it's ben Johnson by far had the hardest job of the week, and that was figuring out how to deal with Aaron Donald, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, that Aaron Donald, and, my, and I don't care where you guys stand on it, I'm pretty firm in the fact I think Aaron Donald is the best defensive player to ever play the game. If if Maybe if he's not that, he's for sure the best of this generation. I mean, he is incredible. Yeah. Um, even, even he's clearly past his, his absolute prime. Even still, he's the best defensive tackle in the league. Um, yes. And early in the season, there were a couple guys in that conversation like, oh, they caught up. As the season went on, Donald just kept – he kept playing at the highest level. Everyone else fell off. So he is still the best D tackle in the league, most disruptive. Um, just a couple numbers I want to throw at the, the audience here, Steve. So Donald, his skill set allows them to line him up everywhere. I went through and charted all the D-line reps there. He had at least 10 snaps at four different positions. In that game, wow. he had at least ten at two I, so that's a you know between the center and guard shade. He had a, he had at least ten snaps at three tackle, so outside shoulder of the guard. He had at least ten snaps over the tackle, shading the tackle either as a four I or straight head up as a five technique. And then he had at least ten snaps as a true defensive end lined up outside the tackle. They were they were doing whatever they could to try to get him one on ones, and Ben Johnson just said no. And Ragnow and Goff executed the game plan perfectly. They committed. On 18 of Jared Goff's 25 non-screen dropbacks, they committed at least two bodies to Aaron Donald, sometimes three. That's not including chips, like running backs and tight ends helping yeah. out uh, right away. That's that's just true double teams or triple teams on 18 of 25 non-screen dropbacks. Um, and to be able to do that when you're moving a guy around the line of scrimmage the way they were with Donald is very hard. Because it's it's un, it's not predictable. It's not like he lines up at three tech every single snap. It's like cool. We know where this guy's going to be. We'll double him. Like that means the communication from Ben Johnson to Goff to Ragnow back to Goff was absolutely flawless. Um, I think yep. Donald had three pressures in the game. I charted him for Steve. Three pressures from Aaron. It's one of his worst games of his career. Of course, that's a win. Yeah, yeah. And on the eight, he's on the field every time. Exactly. And a couple of those pressures actually resulted in first downs, believe it or not. Um, so uh, he had eight one-on-one opportunities on those plays. Four of them resulted in first downs. They had eyes on Donald all the time. And what you saw happen, Steve, is Raheem Morris got frustrated by this. And the, yeah. the Rams aren't a team that likes to blitz a lot. Their blitz rate throughout the season was like 25%. They blitzed on over 50% of their dropbacks. Ernest, Ernest Jones started eight. coming. Right. They stunted another eight. Raheem Morris was like, we are not – if we can't get home with, with Kobe Turner and Aaron Donald, we're, we're going to figure out a way to do it. And the Lions' yeah. O-line was still almost flawless. And I know Ernest Jones did get through a couple times for some for some sacks, but those sacks, you know, in the grand scheme of things, were, weren't too impactful on the game with, uh, with the way yeah. they went. So hats off to Ben Johnson. My only complaint is – while he's great at game plan- planning, he gets stubborn with his game plan, and he doesn't. He has a hard time adjusting sometimes. We saw that in the second half, where the Lions only scored three points. So I mean, why? That's it's the whole thing about the Lions in the third quarter this year. Yep. You yep. Know, yep. They stick to their guns. Finished. They don't. They don't make adjustments based on what yeah. they're seeing the defense do. So. Yeah. Um, Overall, but, it was. I mean, it was the best game of the weekend by, by far. far. And it was a great it was a great game. It lived up to the billing of all the, you know, revenge, you know, different things. The storylines, it's still going on Twitter today. If you want to look into Rams and Lions Lions fighting, Lions fans fighting back and forth about whether Kirby Joseph intentionally injured someone, things like that. Like it's still going. Which that's BS. Anybody like that, you know, that was just an unfortunate thing where the dude got stuck in turf, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. It 
with the the way the current rule set is, the strike zone for a defensive back coming to make a tackle. By the way, on a, on a tight end who outweighs Kirby Joseph by sixty pounds, roughly. Easy, easy. Um, yeah, maybe more than that actually. The strike zone is basically from the shin bone <laughs> to the hip. I mean, you go higher than that, especially because it's not like. I think in the Higby situation, he was a little more upright because of the way he had to catch the ball. But if you yeah. go watch the Goddard one where he got hurt, or even the Hawkinson one a couple weeks back, th- the strike zone is literally like 12 inches, Steve. And you're coming in at 20 miles an hour. Like, and I'm and not. You're, you're I, I think, wrap up. Yeah, you're, you're already a guy who doesn't wrap up because you have poor technique. But um, the point being, though, is like they've protect, they've gone so far to protect the players' heads, which totally that's cool you have to be able to hit the guy somewhere and with the the higby one specifically it it was unfortunate his cleat got caught in the turf when right as kirby was hitting his knee it's not a dirty play i don't think in the way the rules are written right now if you eliminate that hit steve just put flags on him i mean yeah yeah I, i and collinsworth did a good job talking about it i think he said he's pulled this year he pulled over 20 pass catchers in the nfl and all 20 of them said that we would rather have that hit taken out of the game than the hit on the head taken out of the game, coming over the middle. Um, which, yeah. if you think about it, makes sense. Because if you talk about eye discipline and eye level, um, players can be – you can put more on the receiver's shoulder to protect himself if if the defender's coming at the head. They can't – especially in the Higby situation, I don't even think he knew Kirby was there. No, uh, it was, it was bang, bang. Low eye level, really the ball's – Right. The happened really fast. The ball's above his head. So you talk about eye level. Like, I mean, yeah, maybe he had peripherals on Kirby, but he doesn't know he's about to get blasted in the knee. Where if yeah. Kirby was coming at his chest or head, you definitely see that guy coming. You can do things to protect yourself a little bit better. Um, it's a NFL's in a tough spot with this. You can't take every hit out of the game, though. That's my yeah. opinion. Um, it, it's uh, unless we're going to play flag football, in which case I'll probably no longer be a fan. So, <laughs> yep. Um, all yeah. right, we should move on. So we spent a lot of time talking Bucks Lions, but mostly because that was the best game of the week, and it is special to Steve and I. Um, let's get into the. Let's see. Wait, I said Bucks Lions. I said I meant Rams Lions. Let's talk Bucks Lions and how that game is going to shake out, Steve. Yeah, yeah. So I think the Bucks did what everybody thought they would deep down, and they beat the Eagles. And they're here. They are now traveling to Detroit to play yep. the Lions in Detroit <clears throat> Sunday at 3 p.m. Um, yeah, you, you and I both picked the Bucks to win against the Eagles, by yep. the way. Yeah. The Eagles are dead. And, they, they were uh, procl- or proclaimed dead on arrival by Matt Patricia. And, yeah. And Matt, Matt Patricia is who he thought we w- is who we thought he was. I mean, it's, I'm, uh, e- the Eagles have a lot to figure out. Those, all I'll say about that game itself is that I've never seen, and obviously this is an outside viewer, but I've never seen what looked to be as apathetic of an effort as it was from the Eagles. The defense didn't look like they cared. The defensive scheme didn't look like it cared. I mean, everything was wide open for Baker Mayfield. He could do whatever he wanted. There was nobody there was no pressure. There was, or, you know, there was a, he got sacked a couple of times outside of the times he got sacked. There was no pressure. There was no press or anything on the receivers. There was hardly any like disguising of schemes. What Baker saw in front of him is what he got um, from the defensive standpoint. Like it just, and then on the offensive side, the Buccaneers they didn't respect the the Eagles' ability to pass whatsoever. They were trying out. They were trying out consistent eight-man boxes, and those were eight-man boxes with three linebackers and five down linemen. They were trying out three defensive backs consistently down to down like that. They played three or four defensive backs against they a team that plays the, a crap ton of eleven personnel. By the way, yes, yes, they, they didn't get. They didn't respect the Eagles' ability to pass at all. They they said like you're not going to run the ball. You're going to have. You're to not going to RPO us. us. You're not going to run. Yeah. And you're not going to RPO us to death. Yeah, and so you know, props to Bulls and props to the Bucks for putting down what was, uh, you know, a sickly dog in the, yeah. at the end of the season. Um, but sorry, go ahead. 
so are you what's funny is you saw that strategy employed uh, across the board in a lot of different games this week even the even the rams in that second half of the lions game they they did the same thing they went complete odd front stacked line of scrimmage they said lines you're not running the football and we're gonna make you beat us with the with your arm yeah yeah and, it, it happened a lot though right, go ahead. and so now we're at the game that we're at and this is actually a rematch from week six yeah where the lions lions won in tampa bay 20 to 6 um if you're the lions i think you walk away from this this is the dream matchup that you could have asked for <laughs> in the in the divisional i mean like of all the I mean, outcomes the eagles yes <laughs> yeah if not the eagles then the bucks just that you know that the bucks offense kind of plays into the hands of what detroit does well you have you have baker who you know is not super mobile likes to sit in the pocket has a little bit of escapability but not a ton and that you know that plays into the detroit pass rush and it's a team that struggles to run the ball and so it puts detroit in a position where defensively they're going to want to just they're going to bring a lot of blitzes they're going to try and disguise blitzes they're going to try to disguise coverage and they're going to try and make baker make a couple mistakes and they're going to they're going to try to capitalize it i think that's overall the game plan for the lions and on the opposite side the bucks it's you know, hopefully they're looking for their star receivers to go off. You know, star receivers have been going off against Detroit, and they're I think they're hoping that that, you know, is what wills them to a victory. And it's not a terrible – it's not a terrible strategy, and it might work. But – Yeah, the, the receivers that have worked against Detroit have been of the bigger physical variety. Uh, you know, Evans, Jefferson, Lance – or sorry, I don't know why I said Evans. He's this week. Puka Nakua. We're telling – Right, Puka Nakua, Jefferson, CeeDee Lamb. Yeah, those are those have been the guys who've had success. You know, obviously Mike Evans has some overlap there in skill set. So that's that's a little scary. Yeah. Um yeah. Steve, the uh I think an underrated part a lot of people aren't talking about is the first time these two teams played, the Lions backfield was Craig Reynolds and a guy by the name of um was it uh, was it Zigbo? Yeah, as I was say, I think it was Divino Zigbo. Yeah, it was <laughs> Divino Zigbo. Montgomery was hurt. He tried to play in that game and left promptly in the first quarter. There, um, Jameer Gibbs missed that game. Jonah Jackson missed that yep. game. So yep. there was there was definitely. I, I feel like Amon Ra was also hurt. No, he was he was hobbled. That yeah, was he was. You know, he, yeah, he James went into the Williams game running. Yeah, Jamo maybe thirty five percent out percent participation yeah. at that time so it's a good the, the bucks are seeing a completely different team yeah on all, yeah and so i know the bucks are good good on offense or sorry good against the run on defense um and they stopped the lines last time from running the football I, I don't know that it will you know i think the lines will have more success running yeah. against tampa this time than they did last time although um if i were the lions uh you know bucks play a ton of cover three and a cover cover four those are two coverages golf annihilates so I would be pretty excited about getting those matchups. They featured Sam yeah. Laporta a ton in this matchup last time, despite yep. the fact that Tampa has um, Levante David, Antoine Winfield, Devin White. I would say one of the better, yep. you know, second level, you know, middle of the field defending groups in the NFL. And for whatever reason, the Lions thought that was the matchup to exploit. I, I don't, I didn't think that game plan was solid. Um, so I, I would hope that they try to go attack more of those corners that have been suspect all year. Jamel yeah. Dean in that so- that zone, they, that zone can break down. It can get soft. Um, you know, they like to play with, with guys in front of them, especially with the amount that Todd Bowles blitzes. So I would, uh, I would expect to see a little more Amon Ra, a little more JMO in this game than the last one. Yeah, I agree. Um, who are you picking to win? I'm picking the Lions. Picking the lines. I'm picking the lines too. I, I actually don't think this will be too big of a hurdle for them. Maybe in the first half it's close. I do think maybe they pull away in the second half. Um, yeah. Now, I think this is this is a big stand on your business, take care of business type game. I think that yeah, you, yep. this is this is this is the matchup you would have wanted. I mean, uh, uh, you know, outside of revenge, going to Dallas, playing Tampa at home, getting a second home game. This is everything that the Lions played for, and this is what you know what they were hoping for. So, yep, agreed. All right, I am taking the Detroit Lions as well. Um, all right, move on. Let's go back to the front of the line here with the Houston Texans at the Baltimore Ravens. Obviously, the Ravens had the bye last week as the number one seed, but the Texans, the four seed, went in and handled 
the Cleveland Browns. I shouldn't say went in. They hosted the Cleveland Browns. Yeah. The the Browns traveled to Houston and got that got that took that L. Joe Flacco finally kind of turned back into Joe Flacco a little bit there and um, was it more of, was it more of was it more of that he turned into what he was or that the the mistakes that he had had been making the whole time finally cost him because he was he was turning the ball over a lot even with the big right. games. that is true that's a really good point also the you know the Texans over the year it's probably between them and the Lions for the best run defense in the NFL. And yeah. the, the Browns couldn't run the football at all. In fact, no. they're, I think on designed running back carries, they average like 2.2 yards a carry in that game. And that's their identity. That's who the Browns want to be. They want to be a run first team. So when you take that away, you put a lot on Joe Flacco's plate. And I know it was a, it was a nice story. It just didn't, didn't work too well. Texas defense came alive. And then C.J. Stroud answered a lot of questions in that game as well. Yeah, Stroud looked amazing. The off-platform throws, the, you know, coming off his first read quickly, getting to his second read, you know, it was, he continues to put on like a different type of masterclass like every other week. And it's, it, yeah. it's impressive. Um, I'm used to, on, on the defensive side, Stingley played really well, matched up against Amari Cooper. They ended up being yep. on like about 80% of his routes and he shut him down completely. That was huge to eliminate. You know, a guy that I think a lot of people thought Amari Cooper would be, you know, the the guy to kind of lead the Flacco charge in receiving to beat the to beat Houston. But, you know, they stood on it. They got pressure on Flacco when they got pressure on Flacco. They forced him in mistakes. And that's what I mean, that's ultimately yeah. what won in the game. And then, you know, on defense, they didn't get they, on offense. Houston didn't get stopped. So they played a, a very clean game. And it was it's impressive from Stroud. And you know, I think they they proved they proved to everyone why they deserve to be in the position they're in. Yeah, and on the other side with with Stroud and the pressure, so he had been kind of iffy with pressure all season. Now the Texans O line has done a fantastic job all year. I think their pressure rate allowed on the year was just like thirty four percent, and that was despite Stroud holding the ball for. I don't know, an eternity on average, two point seven seconds yeah. or something, two point seven five, something like that. So. Yeah. The Texans O-line has been great all year, but when Stroud was pressured, he you did see a, a massive dip in production, and I felt like he just the pressure didn't bother him whatsoever this week. It was like it didn't. You know, it Cle- didn't Cleveland's O-line was winning a lot of one-on-ones, and it, Stroud just stood there and just delivered the ball time and time again. And then once they got the lead, they just weren't giving it back. So no, and they yeah they went up. They, it turned from a ten to a twenty-four point lead so fast. Cleveland didn't even know what to do. Their head, their heads were spinning. And the game was all of a sudden just out of hand, and it was near the end of the third quarter, and it was like, holy yeah. crap, what, like, <laughs> oh my God, what just happened? Yep. All right. Um, so, turning our sights back to this week, the Texans traveling to Baltimore to take on the one seed. I do think this is the end of the road for the Texans. Nice story, though. Great, great season. What do you think? I do too. Last week made me change my thoughts on this game a little bit, just in the way that they played against Cleveland, I think that Houston can give themselves a chance. If they sh- if they can stop the run and plug the run against Baltimore, they can give themselves a chance. It's just on the, you know, and I mean, we've been saying this all year, but on the offensive side for Houston, this is the top. I mean, this is Stroud's toughest test yet. The way Baltimore plays defense, the way um, they put stress on a quarterback, it – I think challenges every level of quarterback abilities that you have as far as pre-snap stuff, identifying coverages, identifying who's blitzing. That is such a large part of how to beat the Ravens. And this, that's, it's really going to stress that for Stroud and how far he's come along and how good he is at that, at this juncture in his career. And so ultimately I think that that's what wins it for Baltimore. I think it is going to be the defense that, gets enough stops, causes enough confusion, and ultimately thwarts Stroud enough times that they come out on top. I honestly think I could see this being a lower scoring game. hundred percent. Then you know, then what I, I then if you had told me about this matchup going into the playoffs compared to now, I think I walk away now have like after watching the games and thinking about this that like I think Baltimore wins and I think they win in a close, low scoring game. 
I agree. I basically said everything you just said on the radio this morning on Mr. Hansen's program. So that uh, that even even the disguise coverages and blitz packages, like one thing the Ravens do really well is they give you the illusion that you're being pressured even when you're not. Because um, right. their pressure rate on the year is actually pretty garbage. It's like 30 It is. It's, like, it's really funny bottom, how like, productive yeah. their defense. Yeah. Yeah, but it's that illusion of pressure. You just don't know who's coming. You feel like you have to get the ball out quick, quicker than you do. And yes. I think that could bode really well for Stroud. But it is another one of these games where it's like, well, we have quite like this is a rematch from week one of the season. Stroud played the Ravens. He didn't look great in that game. Um, it was his first game as a starter from the NFL, though. So <laughs> he's come a long way since. But it's like yep. another one of these. Like last week, he had to deal with the pressure of the Cleveland Browns D-line. This week, he's going to have to deal with the illusion of pressure and disguise coverages. It's like if he could put this feather in his cap, then he's building quite the uh, the legacy here already. As a, yeah. As a Anyways, yeah. Um, I, I am taking the Ravens. I do agree this is a a lower-scoring game than probably the, the books think it is. And uh, – Ultimately, I think the team who gets more stops wins. So, yeah, and I think I just um, trust Baltimore's defense more than Houston's. Yep. All right, we have to get moving here, Steve. So, Green Bay, San Francisco. Um, listen, I'm going to give you a ton of credit. We're not going to hit 49ers. They had a bye week. You picked the Packers to beat the Cowboys. Yep. Um, savage, savage level stuff. It didn't. It wasn't just the Packers beating the Cowboys. It was the Packers absolutely you know, pinning the Cowboys down and then running them over repeatedly with a semi truck. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was crazy how easily the Packers, and if you remove, this is what I wanted to say. If you remove the Tampa Bay game, what it was that weeks 15, yep. the Packers last eight weeks minus, and I know you can't always play, take out the worst game, but listen, if you do, this Packers team is freaking scary, dude. Jordan love. I mean, this offensive line is protecting Jordan love. Even without David Bakhtiari, they're, uh, Mr. Buttkiss, their O-line coach there in Green Bay, needs a raise or a, jo- a head coaching job somewhere. Like what he's, The job he's done with this offensive line, despite the, the not the huge investments, they got like three fifth-round picks starting on the O-line. I mean, incredible job. And when you give yeah. Jordan Love that seven-on-seven opportunity, we've talked about this uh, many times, Steve, he, he'll shred your defense. And what we've seen all year from the 49ers – Steve, is when you can protect your quarterback and you can slow down Nick Bosa in that pass rush, their secondary can be gotten badly. And yeah. every game they've lost this year, it was against a team that protected the quarterback. I I, I really feel like the Packers have a chance in this game. I, and I know a lot of people are writing them off already. I kind of I feel like I'm going Packers in this game, Steve. I mean, listen, I've I've I, been saying anybody that has ears and would listen to me. I have been saying that the Packers are one of the scariest teams in the NFL since like, I mean, since a little bit after Thanksgiving when they beat the Lions. Yeah. What the, I mean, what this offense is doing and what Jordan Love is showing on tape is it's like, it's, I mean, it's the third coming, which <laughs> you didn't even know that was allowed. You didn't even know that they, you were allowed to do that, but it's here. It's the third coming. He's, he, it's just train. I don't know what training system they're putting that, you know, these, these new up and coming quarterbacks with Aaron Rodgers after Brett Favre or Jordan Love after Aaron Rodgers, but they do this. They, the mechanics are so similar to each other. The way he plays the game is so similar to Aaron Rodgers. It, it's, it's crazy because if you took off, if you took off the jersey number, you might think it's Aaron Rodgers at times. Um, but they just have such a, they have such a young core of weapons who are just all like super athletic. You can see it all melding together. Jordan Love is feeling has arguably the most confidence of any quarterback in the NFL right now. Yeah, like it's just it's it's just a great culmination of everything that this team could have been. They're reaching that what it could, what it could be, and it's Love. it's cool to see that. And I've been I've been terrible. I like I've been saying it that. If you're the Lions, that's the last team you want to face. If you're any team really at this point, it's the last team you want to face because they're humming on all cylinders. And the only the only question is their defense. And I mean, they answered the bill against Dak. I don't. That Dak played a really bad game, and he looked off. The entire offense looked off. It, it just yeah, the moment got. It seems like the moment kind of got to him, and that see that's you know it's been a trend now, but. Um, that's the biggest thing is can Green Bay's defense follow up this performance and can they, 
you know, stand in with their offense and give keep giving their offense opportunities because this yeah. defense has has an ability and has a proclivity to get beaten up every once in a while. Can yeah. they avoid that against what is their toughest matchup of the year in San Francisco and a high flying athletic San Fran offense with a lot of weapons? You know, the, to me, this is the complete opposite of what um, the Baltimore Houston game will be. I think this game could be a shootout. Yeah, yeah, I agree fully. Um, listen, Jordan Love, he's he's displayed my favorite trait in a quarterback, which is a short term memory. Yeah, when he makes a mistake, it doesn't bother him. He's like, it's awesome, and, and I wish I actually wish Jared Goff had more of that because. I think what you see a lot of times is golf will be playing amazing. And then one bad thing happens and he kind of shells up. A little. You saw it in the, the Rams game when, when he had that weird play where he chucked the ball, the monk or was it Brock Wright or whatever? Brock Wright, yeah. They, they scored three points after that moment, Steve. Yeah, that's it. Uh, like he, and he was way less aggressive. It's just like it got no, in his he head. Had like, the, he had the weird play where he stumbled out of the pocket that they easily would have converted that first down. Just like, you know, monster, you could, but yeah. But even then, it's just yeah. like one of those things where it's like, does that happen pre that pre that sure. weird sure. sack fumble thing you did? Yeah, it's like he he gets nervous. Like once the first right. in the pocket play messes up, he gets nervous the rest of the game. But right. so, anyways, Jordan loves the opposite. It's like it doesn't matter how hard he gets hit, how if he threw a really bad pass, if he threw it right to a defender, it, the, the next play he will come out and just absolutely sling it. He does not care. I love it. It's a, it's he's got a little Mahomes in him. He's got a little. Uh, he's got a little Matt Stafford in him, actually. The way he's willing just to just throw dart after dart off platform. Yep. The accuracy is is also jumping off the page. Like he was not an accurate passer in college. His first any glimpse we got of him the last three years, he's not been an accurate passer. The accuracy is popping off the dude, page. Dude, and he's uh, just dude, he's strong as shit. He's yeah. so strong. Yeah. Like, oh my god, the dude's fun to watch. It. it is. It is. It's really fun to watch and. I think if anything, San Fran. I hope San Fran watched that Dallas game closely, and they realized that don't you can't play a soft zone against these guys. You have to mug their receivers. You have to be in their faces. You have to like it's it's a it's a job. It's and it's a hard work. You can see it because the way he's able to doesn't matter if he backs up another six yards, he can make it happen and still make that throw over the middle. You know, not, there's yep. not a lot of quarterbacks were moving backward. They could still make the same distance throw they could if they were moving forward. But that was what killed Dallas. Is for some reason they started dropping into these soft zones, and he bought he would buy himself time. He'd get good protection. He'd back out of the pocket a little bit, and then he'd rip it across the middle. That's where Dubs came open a couple times. Yeah, San Fran has to be adamant about mugging up receivers and playing aggressive yeah. coverage. You can't oh, just sit back and let it come to you. I wanted to say this too, and we, we are running way late right now, but um, what I love about the Green Bay offense as well is they have a receiver for every occasion. They have a tight end. like they. Romeo Dubs is your prototypical possession receiver. Great body control, amazing hands. Yeah. Uh, he's fast enough to get, to get open downfield, but you don't need him for that. Um, he's a chain mover. Then they got yep. Jaden Reed, who is your explosive yards after catch guy. You can scheme yep. up a bunch of different touches to him. You know, heavy volume guy. Then you got Christian Watson and Dontavian Wicks, this raw deep speed. Um, just like I, I just love that they have a guy that can beat any coverage you give him. You're gonna give him man. Yep. They got a guy who can beat it. You're gonna give him a soft zone. Cool. We'll dubs you to death. You, you're gonna play, you know, uptight with two high safeties. Sweet. Well, we got possession guys for that too. We got tight ends that can work underneath. Like we're really love what they've built here. It's it's scary if you're a Lions fan because I think Green Bay and Detroit will be going. They'll be clashing the next couple of years for sure. So yeah, I mean, we got yeah, Green, oh, Green Bay is the youngest roster in the NFL. Yeah, and the Lions are second, right? I think the Lions are two fourth, fourth overall. Okay. Um, I think counties. starters, though. I think among starters, they're actually number two. But probably um, Green Bay. One last point: their their D line is playing out of their gourd right now. Um, 49ers have had pass pro issues all season long, especially on non play action plays. Um, I think that could be a, a, a X factor as well. Where Sean Gary could blow up the the 49ers game plan a little bit. So, all right, that's it. I'm taking Green Bay though. Who are you taking? Yeah, I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna take the Packers too. As we've talked through this, I think I'm taking Let's the go. Packers. 
I'm right. You convinced train. me. You made me the the Packers believer. I doubted them last week, and then I was I was proven very wrong. So I felt it. I I was like yeah. this. I was like this is the perfect matchup, but I right. think it matches up well again. <laughs> Chiefs Bills. Um, we don't unfortunately we've run out of time, so we don't have a ton of time to talk about this game. But this is the game of the week, so it stinks that we we uh, <laughs> wait until the end to talk about this. But um, let's spend less time reviewing how they got here. Yeah, more time talking about this game since that we don't have much time left. Um, this is like the premium preem. We've seen this matchup three years in a row now, right? Is this the fourth year in a row we've got this or third? Yes, year in a row? yes. Okay. Mahomes versus Josh Allen. I know Mahomes and the Chiefs offense have struggled. It doesn't matter. It's still Patrick Mahomes. Josh Allen and the Bills struggled the first half of the year, and they're on an absolute tear right now. And you yep. are getting you're never gonna see a better quarterback matchup in the playoffs than this, in my opinion. Um, this is no, probably not. this is Peyton versus Brady. This is the new yep. era of Peyton versus Brady. Um I'm excited to watch this game. I'm very conflicted on how this game, I think, could go because the Bills are so decimated in the middle of the field on defense. They lost Terrell Barnard, another line. They're down, what, four linebackers this year? Whatever it is, it's crazy. Something like that. It's, and, it's, yeah. Yeah, and so when when the Chiefs, they're only two reasonable offensive weapons, dominate the middle of the field and Rashi Rice and Travis Kelsey – that just yeah. makes me scared for Buffalo because it's like you, the yeah. guys you need to defend those two dudes you don't have in your lineup. They had AJ Klein play basically every snap the other day. That is not going to get it done against Travis Kelsey and Rashi Rice. And no. we know the Bills don't play man; they play strictly zone. So, yep, um, it's it, that's the only thing that's concerning. Otherwise, I think all the momentum is pointing towards the Bills winning this game. What say you? Yeah, yeah. If you rode the momentum train, yes, I, I think that. Yes, I think it comes down to both sides' defenses. I think the Chiefs' defense has been playing so well. And, again, I think we've been yeah. talking so much about what Mahomes hasn't been able to do and what that offense hasn't been able to do. We've forgotten that their uh, their defense hasn't given up more than 21 points all year. Hasn't done it. That's Wait, as, is that real? As, That's a real thing. Like, it's close. Like If, it, if, it, if it's none, it's one. They gave up 27 you, to the you, Packers. You keep talking. I'll look it up. You keep talking. They gave up 27 to the Packers, 24 to the Broncos. So it was it was close, but you know, most That's for cool. the most part. No, no 30s though, right? No, um, no 30s. 27 wow. is the highest against the Packers okay. with the Packers. Um, and there's and Spags is a chaos merchant, and Ooh, I, I think like he it, can. Man. I think I think he can speed up. Um, I think he can speed up Josh Allen. I think he can give Allen a lot of uh, Spags loves to blitz his cornerbacks, and I think that he's he can create enough chaos around Allen that he can force him into some some into some mistakes. Get Patrick Mahomes a couple extra possessions. It's gonna, I think it's gonna be a really good game. I think it's gonna be you know, part three, part four, whatever it is. I think we're gonna be treated to a somewhat different version of what it was. Whereas I think where, you know, I think you'll see a lot more of methodical movement of the ball and less, you know, crazy deep shots this this time around, because I think yeah. both defenses are better protected against that stuff. But, but it's, it, it's yeah, I think it's going to be really close. But I think that it's the Chiefs defense that is going to shape the way this game goes. Yeah, they I, I agree with you. And listen, Stefan Diggs looks cooked. He looks absolutely barbecued right now. Um not the same guy he was even early in the season, but we said this last year. He he really struggled towards the end of the year as well. But he's going to catch us a, a, a luxurious need shadow more than likely, Steve. To me, that just says you're going to re- have to rely on Gabe Davis and Khalil Shakir and and yep. Dalton Kincaid, which I think Kincaid's a great player and he's coming on for sure. But like, I don't know how I feel about having to trust Gabe Davis to get this done. The one thing I'll hang – actually, one other point on the Chiefs' defense, their pass rush has come alive. I was critical of – remember when we did the the uh, poison pill or whatever, the the fatal flaw? Yes. Pass rush was it for the Chiefs and wide receiver unit, obviously, but we, we were torn between the two. Yeah, yep. Um, the, the last five weeks, since week 15, so to finish the season and then the wild card, um, their pass rush has come alive. Chris Jones is back to being – uh, absolute dog. I think he's second in interior defender pressures in that time. Karloftis is finally starting to play again. I think he's had three sacks the last three weeks. Charles Amenahu, 
I mean, a free pickup for them in the offseason. He's got four sacks over the last, you know, three, four weeks. Um, Tershawn Wharton has emerged as another interior guy that can rush the passer. He's been a very good pass rusher for them next to Chris Jones. He's getting a lot of one-on-one opportunities. He's taking advantage. So I do really like the Chiefs defense in this scenario. The one thing I will say for the Buffalo Bills and their offense, though, is the Chiefs play a ton of man coverage, Steve. And we know when Josh Allen sees the backs of jerseys, he likes to scramble around, make plays with his feet. He will run the football. I think the the man coverage that the Chiefs run bode well for Josh making plays with his legs. Is it going to be enough, though? I don't I don't think so. I'm going to take Kansas City in this game, I think. But should be yeah. a, an awesome game either way. Well, who, yeah. who are you taking? I know I should take Buffalo because I did. I should take Buffalo, but I did take him because I took him to the Super Bowl in my preseason prediction. But I think the Chiefs end up winning this game. I think it's. I think, yeah. like I said, I think their defense makes enough plays to keep their offense on the field enough times that Mahomes can, you know, make some magic happen. Hopefully, his receivers don't get in his way. <laughs> yes. All right. That's it, Steve. That's going to do it. We're going to wrap it. We went 50 minutes today previewing uh, week divisional round of the playoffs. Thank you so much for listening. Please head over to fantasypoints.com. A lot of great content coming out there. Plus, the data suite, always updating the data suite. I think we've got another update scheduled for the you know short offseason here. So, uh, Oh, and draft content. The draft guide will be coming out again, <clears throat> written by yours truly. Uh, I will be down in Mobile two Love weeks it. from now, uh, hitting practices. So um, make sure you you check out all of the cool articles and and updates to the draft guide that we will have coming out. All right, that's it. I'm Brett Whitefield, my co-host Stephen O'Rourke, and we are. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com.